The following episode of Bookmark was first broadcast January 9th, 2024. Good afternoon and welcome to Bookmarked on KZSM.org, your true community radio station, where today the book under discussion is the very wonderful Pulitzer Prize winning Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. And my guest is Chris Gardner. Hello, hello. All right. Uh, Barbara Kingsolver, as you may already know, is a best-selling American novelist, essayist, and poet. I would say, when I say best-selling, and I would say she's on some kind of right between what you would call literary fiction and popular fiction. Wouldn't you, would you agree to that? I think she walks that line really nicely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, she, is, she is very popular, but she's also studied in, you know, we've both taught her in, in classes and things like that. She's the author of 10 novels, including The Poisonwood Bible, which is probably the most famous uh, so far, a couple of nonfiction works, um, a short story collection, and some poetry collections. This one won the 2023 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Um, Chris is Associate Professor of English and Dual Credit Liaison at Austin Community College. And incidentally, not incidentally, but very uh, in a very welcome uh, capacity, a member of our KZSM Governing Board. Anything you want to add to your biography here? I think that covers it. Okay. Um, all right. A summary of the book. Um, like Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, on which it's based, Demon Copperhead documents the struggles of an abused and neglected boy. And it's told in the first person. So he talks about what, ha what has happened to him. Damon, his name is Damon Fields, uh, Naturally, he gets nicknamed Demon and Copperhead because he has red hair and also presumably because he has an attitude, as we yes. are told. Yeah. He's the son of a single mother with drug and alcohol problems. He endures an abusive stepmother. He's in two different foster homes, both of which are awful in different ways. Um, when his mother dies and he has no new they're they're, if I remember, they're trying to place him in another foster home and cannot find a, a one. He seeks out his grandmother. Uh, his grandmother finds him a better home, which turns out to be with the football coach. Life improves. He becomes a high school football star. But a serious knee injury sends him into addiction. And his attachment to the drug-addicted Dory, whom he adores, isolates him further he starts, throughout he shows a gift for drawing, and eventually, uh, as the novel uh, winds down, he becomes rehabilitated and enjoys some success as a cartoonist and a creator of graphic novels. Uh, there's a, it's the same memorable cast of characters, uh, many of them, most of them, reimaginings of Dickens' characters. Um, anything you want to add to the summary? I think that, I think that's enough to get us started. Okay. All right. Um, okay. I just, I just hit the, just hit the wrong thing. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, so we will, we will wait for this message, which, oh, okay, message is, message is not going out. Uh, that's all right. I think we're live. Yeah, oh yeah. All right. Okay. Um, why would somebody want to, you said you're, you're not much into David Copperfield or haven't been. I'm not. I have not read the, the whole of the novel. I've started it a couple of times throughout the, uh, the many years uh, and never been compelled. Dickens, okay. Dickens, frankly, just doesn't do it for me. Oh, really? All right. Well, uh, you, you got into Christmas Carol all right. I did, but yeah. I got into Christmas Carol through the Muppets. Okay, uh, that's that's right. That's that's right. You you admitted that. Well, uh, then I'll, I'll I'll point out some of them. Uh, and Demon points out the main parallel uh, toward and and cleverly she has him. I never know whether to call him Demon or Damon. What seems what seems more right to you? Uh, I think it. I think we're intended to take him as Demon. Yeah. I believe we're intended to take him as Demon. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, when he gets, uh, he does wind up in gifted and talented and, uh, gets, does, does some reading. And one of the things he reads is, uh, interestingly, of course, she has to have him, is David Copperfield. Um, I read Char that Charles Dickens one, seriously old guy, dead and a foreigner, but Christ Jesus, did he get the picture on kids and orphans getting screwed over and nobody giving a rat's ass? You'd think he was from around here. <laughs> so, so, and that's the essential parallel, although there are some others. I think the whole thing, though, I, I mean, if you, if you are a Dickens fan, and I know uh, many people are, the thing about, in, in some ways, I think that King Solver is almost a... Not a reincarnation, but she's our modern-day Dickens because what what Dickens did was, uh, as she puts it, um, I'm grateful to Charles Dickens for writing David Copperfield, his impassion, impassioned critique of institutional poverty and its damaging effects on children in his society. These problems are still with us, and the taking a social problem, any sort of social problem, and giving it flesh, embodying it in, in memorable characters, uh, and, and sort of educating us about it is certainly King Solver's thing um, in many, I mean, in, in some of the, oh, what are some of the themes in, you know, Poisonwood Bible, well, you know, what mm -hmm. are some of the kinds of things she talks about in there? I think she's obsessed with the same thing in both of these novels to some degree. I think both of them are efforts, almost embarrassingly, to humanize human beings. Uh, <laughs> in Poisonwood, she's trying to convince her readers that, yes, even the people of Congo are full human beings. Uh, and here, she seems to be talking to an audience outside of Appalachia to say again, yes, Everyone here is, in fact, a full human being. Yeah. And I think that's central to a lot of the work that she does. As some of the reviewers have pointed out, uh, she works in an unfashionable mode. Yeah. Uh, the issue novel is not what writers do now. Writers are far likelier to be struck by a character and then see where a character takes them. And Kingsolver starts with an issue and figures out how to embody that issue. And yeah. I think she does it as well as or better than anyone working. 
Yeah, I like that. And we, sometimes we could, you wonder uh, why it is unfashionable. I mean, I had a, a quote from a critic, exhuming uh, Dickens is her way of, to make a claim of inheritance explicit at a time when teeming, boisterous activist novels are unfashionable. And yes, they are, you know. Uh, you certainly get, you, you get human problems in novels nowadays, I think, but nobody wants to th think about how to solve them or, or to even kind of try to engage the reader. You know, it's just, oh, everything is terrible. I mean, at least in some of the, the novels I've run, run into on here. Yeah, there's there plenty of misery, uh, but yeah. far, far too few solutions. And in King Solva's work, there are almost always a couple of characters who seem to have the answers. Yeah. Uh, there are always a couple of characters who are, to some degree, her stand-ins uh, mm -hmm. and help us put the issues into their proper context. Yeah, yeah. And we have, uh, I'm trying, is, is, is her name Jane in here? June. June. Aunt June. Aunt and uh, June. I think Mr. Armstrong does the same yeah, thing for us Yeah, and Mr. Armstrong. That's mm -hmm. right. That's right. And I didn't, because they're the nice characters, I didn't focus on them to talk about so much. But, yeah. But, uh, Aunt June, for example, uh, for a while she has or is married to or has a boyfriend who is a drug dealer, not a criminal drug dealer, but a legal <laughs> yeah. drug dealer, and she goes yeah. on a crusade against those, and that's important. She does, yeah. Her her flip on his actions is, I think, one of the first big rhetorical pivots of the novel. Early on, she is talking to Pa Peggett and says, I know what you're worried about, but there's absolutely no chance of you getting dependent on this medication. The company did all kinds of studies. I can show you the package insert. Uh, Kingsolver wants us to know from the beginning mm -hmm. that well-intentioned, well-informed people were duped by a pernicious pharmaceutical company that sought out counties like Lee County, Virginia, yeah. as counties that had a high percentage of patients on disability and a high percentage of patients already taking some form of opioid pain medication uh, and sought them out as great targets for oxy. Oh. Um, by the time it's done, she has turned entirely on her fella there, Kent, I believe his name is. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's even calling him a drug pusher or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 And says of him, if I can find it, uh, Kent Hold is a hired killer for his company. So uh, no punches pulled there. Uh, I politely yeah. dropped the F-bomb because we're in the yeah. middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, but she has a strong opinion about him yeah. uh, and the damage he's done to her county. Yeah, and I noticed that, that the, uh, she's adjusted. The, it's a contemporary novel, but it's a little bit in the past. Mm -hmm. I think it covers like something like 1986 to 2007, and I think she did that on purpose because people now are a little more aware of the opioid crisis. If I looked up the, um, the first Oklahoma versus Purdue Pharmaceutical, the, that lawsuit which kind of brought people's attention to that mm -hmm. when the state of Oklahoma sued them for, their, uh, for, for promoting the drug and cost, costing the state money with addiction, and that was in 2017. So, you know, we get the, the thing is set kind of right in the heart of this the uh, the opioid crisis. Um, what did you think of her depiction of drug abuse and addiction? I mean, I was maybe maybe I shouldn't ask this. I know because you work with young people, 
uh, and the, the younger people here are particularly vulnerable, although they're not the only ones, because older people hurt too, yeah. you know. Uh, does it resonate with your experience at all? Um, it's so grim. I'm happy to say it doesn't resonate um, on a personal level with me. Uh, we are in Hayes County, and you don't have to look far to find New York Times articles about fentanyl overdoses in Hayes County. Um, so we are, we are also, uh, as Ann June would say, victims to this. But I think King Solver does a really nice job of complicating this from start to finish. Ann yeah. June is constantly trying to convince Demon that he is not at fault. Mm -hmm. uh, she says, they did this to us in no uncertain terms. Uh, and Demon hears her, mm -hmm. but doesn't quite accept it. He uh, always believes himself still culpable. He sees moments where he could have made choices and didn't. Uh, yeah. And I, those two, the addict who is trying to own his own mistakes and the medical provider, the nurse practitioner, who is trying to say, no, this is systematic. This is not you. This is a trap that was set for you. Uh, and Demon still says, essentially, yeah, well, I walked right into the trap. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I'll read my, my favorite passage about, about drug addiction. This, the, the, as, a, as I say, the, it's certainly very depressing, the depiction of uh, there's a depiction of children getting high in a, mm -hmm. a, a foster care situation. Uh, and the thing that particularly, for some reason, it's a small thing, but it kind of depressed me. Uh, when Demon has his first sexual experience, which is with this girl that he's absolutely in love with, and uh, she gives them, doses them both with, I think it's fentanyl. It is. Because she says, well, this is supposed to be something special. And then later he can't remember exactly what happened. He remembers some, some flashes, but he doesn't remember the whole thing. And that seemed, that seemed so sad. This would be something that should, should certainly be magical and memorable for him uh, and for her. And yet, you know, it's kind of lost in this, in this drug blur. If you don't mind, I really like the way she says this. She says, or she says through Demon, the rest gets foggy. I hate this. Due to pills, booze, me being an idiot, all the above, that amazing night is a locked up house I have to look into from outside through the windows. Yeah. Wow. I um, like that. Yeah. And you, you, you brought up the whole question of kind of, responsibility in addiction. And I like the way that King Solver doesn't fully resolve that exactly. I mean, he, he wants to, as, as, and you, you sort of imply that a person wants to own their own behavior even when it's bad, you know, or destructive as the addiction is. Um, and he, and yet, in some ways, he's, he's certainly a victim. He's, he's injured, he's prescribed pills uh, because so he can play, so he can continue to play and, and all of that. And as a matter of fact, there's um, the, way, the way she depicts the opioid crisis. Now I have, a, now I have another quote I wanna talk about. Uh, this, is, this is just from the, from the Wikipedia article on it. The structure of the US healthcare system in which people not qualifying for government programs are required to ob obtain private insurance favors prescribing drugs over more expensive therapies. 
uh, according to a professor, most insurance, especially for poor people, won't pay for anything but a pill. Prescription rates for opioid in, opioids in the U.S. are 40% higher than the rate in other developed countries, uh, such as Germany or Canada, which is, and you get that here. Uh, Demon doesn't want surgery, although you get the feeling that if the coach insisted, he would do it, but the coach wants him to play again, plus surgery would, you know, how would, how would they pay for it? And, and so he's, he's, he is a victim, but yet he wants, you know, he, he wants to take responsibility as well. Um, I came late to getting my brain around to the problem of me and still yet might not have. The telling of this tale is supposed to make it come clear. It's a disease, a lot of people tell you that now, be they the crushed souls under repair at NA meetings or the doctors in buttoned-up sweaters. Fair enough. But where did it come from, this wanting disease? From how I got born? Or the ones that made me? Or the crowd I ran with later? Everyone warns about bad influences, but it's these things already inside you that are going to take you down. The restlessness in your gut, like tomcats gone, gone stupid with their blood feuds, prowling around in the moon-dead dark, the hopeless wishes that won't quit stalking you, some perfect words you think you could say to somebody to make them see you and love you and stay, or could say to your mirror, same reason. Yeah. You know. I think she tangles these things up really nicely. Yeah. Uh, that, that passage puts me in the mind of, um, of Macbeth and Shakespeare's more havingness, this, this, this gobble. Uh -huh. that is in us that wants yeah. everything all at once yeah. and for demon it's it's all tangled uh, mm. sure. he first wants nothing more than the coach's approval and when his knee goes out the coach says i think the boy's in good hands watts has been a doctor since aunt june was in her little skirt and bobby socks cheerleading mm -hmm. uh, here he is this man whose praise he craves uh, and the coach is handing him right off to the drug dealer. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, he meets Dory, and she literally glows in his sight from the moment she first shows up, and she's the one to teach him how to siphon off a fentanyl patch and mm -hmm. turn it into something that they can light and chase. And that paternal love and romantic love are both tangled up in his drug abuse. Yeah. And that wanting, wanting, wanting is, is all one thing for him. Sure. And the pull is really difficult to resist. Yeah, and the, but, but as, you, as you kind of implied with what you just said, the, 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 the wanting is in everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, then with him, it's exacerbated by the circumstances that you just described. And, you know, he's there he, and there he is. And as I say, I, as you said, I love the way she tangles this up. I think... Yeah we can take, go ahead and take our first break. My name is Mason Moore, and you can catch me and my rescue pup Franklin every Wednesday at 10 p.m. We're bringing you any significant event from the past week, album releases, song releases, birthdays, deaths, cultural events, nothing is off limits. We're spanning over 80 years of music history on the weekly show, all genres welcome. Find your next favorite song right next to your old one right here on KZSM, True Community Radio. Bookmarked is brought to you in part by the Whitlive Collections. Subscribe to our email list today 
and stay in the know about all the great events, exhibitions, and news happening at the finest collection of literary, photography, and music holdings in the Southwest. The Whitliff Collections is free and open to the public. We're located on the seventh floor of the Alkeck Library at Texas State University. For more information, please contact us at thewhitliffcollections.txstate.edu. All right, welcome back to Bookmarked on KZSM 104.1 and kzsm.org, your true community radio station, where I should probably say that the views uh, expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and guest only and not those of KZSM or its parent corporation, SMTXCRA. And I should also tell, tell you that we are talking about Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, the winner of the 2023 uh Pulitzer Prize, and we are talking about it with Chris Gardner, and we were just, we, we had just, fit, I think we finished or said as much as we, we can at the moment about probably, this is a, a redoing of David Copperfield, but certainly what she adds in making it contemporary is drugs, mm-hmm. and a, a poignant and really painful depiction of the opioid epidemic. Would, yeah, you, would you want to add anything to that? I think, I think it's the, the orphan piece that connects it for her. Uh, I've listened to Kingsolver speak a little bit about the novel, oh, and yeah? she talks about a moment in London where she realized that uh, the place where Dickens wrote David Copperfield uh, is an Airbnb that you can rent. And she stays in the house that he is at, and after her husband has gone to bed, sits at his desk, uh, and has what in her telling amounts to a visitation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charles Dickens comes to her, and she says, I don't know how to make this work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he he says to her, start with the kid, which Mm -hmm. I think is a really compelling way to tell this story. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned early that one of the things I think King Solver is trying to do is humanize all of the characters here. And it's, I think, easy to look at a bunch of junkies trapped in the hills somewhere, making terrible choices and living violent lives of their own choosing and dismiss them. Yeah. And she won't let us no. see any of these characters as junkies. These are all people. Yeah. And the language that we use in this conversation to take that humanity away from people is never language that she employs. So she starts with a kid Mm -hmm. and starts with a really compelling kid. Oh yeah. Uh, He is a wonderful narrator and impossible not to root for. And we know what's coming and we know early, early, early what's coming. Mm -hmm. And we watch every moment with dread fearing this is the one, this is the Mm -hmm. spot where he yeah. tips over into addiction. This is where everything is going to go bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she staves it off for us for a long time. Yeah. But well, that's partly, so, that's partly, I think, following the David Copperfield plot. Now, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly. I think the, uh, the, the encounter with uh, um, the, the, the stepfather. And what's the stepfather's name? Stoner. Stoner, yeah. Uh, and his two... Uh, foster placements both kind of come from David Copperfield. I don't know what the parallel to the to his sink into... Well, I do know that, that uh, David Copperfield marries, uh, a, or, marries or takes up with a young woman who is, uh, what, uh, in, in, incapable and frail but 
you know, so I don't exactly know how she does the, the parallels, and I don't even exactly know exactly why I, why I started talking about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that because you were talking about the slide into addiction, mm-hmm. so you do you do know that that's you you do sort of know that that's coming. And even though he's seen his mother overdose and he's seen other people, you know, it's he wants to play football. And anyway, but talk about his voice a little bit. Uh, one reviewer wrote that yeah, she's created an outcast equally reminiscent of Twain's masterpiece, you know, of Finn, speaking in the natural poetry of the American vernacular. So start with the kid. She starts with the kid's voice, which isn't something necessarily that King Sauber always does. You know, she yeah. doesn't do a lot of, uh, I think her very first book, The Bean Trees, is first person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, she creates a kind of vernacular narrator and even even talked about talks about how... She works at making making sure that the the language goes with the vernacular. Is when she says talks about a storm coming in, looking like uh, a gray shower curtain being drawn across the sky. Um, but is 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 that why you think it's you think it's important for him to have the story in the first person? I, I think it is. I think because I think for the same reason again, because it gives us a kid to root for, and we get to cross our fingers that he won't do what we know he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, but also being inside of his narration, I think, is really vital for understanding how he emerges as exceptional. Uh, mm-hmm. He is able, ultimately, to accept treatment. He is able to move into a new phase of his life. Uh, he is able to own his mistakes. He is able to step in and claim these things. And not all of the characters in this story are able to do that. No. Um, he, from the very beginning, is a person who wants to take care of other people. His best friend as a kid yeah. is his neighbor whom he calls Maggot, Matthew Peggett, who uh, is an effeminate young child. And he knows precisely what word maggot or Matt is going to be called mm. when he shows up at school. And to save his friend the indignity of being branded with the F slur, he starts to call him maggot, uh, which is an unlovely yeah. moniker for sure. Yeah. But he, uh, he does the calculus and decides that that is a more survivable nickname than being branded yeah. with the F slur as a little kid. Uh, so even from the very beginning, he's he's looking out for his buddies. Yeah, he's and he's presented with a kind of uh, compassion and basic morality. Uh, he takes care of people. There's a scene in which he is uh, he's robbed of his savings. He he is which he's taking with him because he needs because he's run away uh, by evidently a drug addicted prostitute who then uh, uh, lies and tells people that the money was hers. And he curses her horribly, but later feels guilty about it, you know. Um, uh, but the screaming is coming from, who, who knows, it doesn't feel like me telling this guy he's a Nazi and I worked all year at my job for that cash so he could give it to a lying, messed up, uh, euphemism, whore, telling her off, getting in her little wrecked face, telling her to go buy herself an overdose. I did that with hate in my heart. I told her to go ahead and die like my mom did. Uh, go have a party and get rid of her ugly self all alone behind a dumpster. And, and even in, in his immediate relation of that, you can hear that he feels bad about it, you know, even though this, this woman has done this, a really terrible thing to him. Well, I think um, the most important relationship of his life is the relationship he has with his mother, and she is a woman who makes horrible choices 
over and over, and he loves her completely. Yeah. And that, that one little flash where he says, go overdose like my mother, uh, is I think part of where his sympathy, even for this woman who has just robbed him of his life savings in a truck stop, uh, I think that's where that, where that compassion begins. He knows what it is to love someone who doesn't always choose wisely. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, he can see the good in a lot of people. What did you think about his art? I mean, he, uh, David, David Copperfield is, uh, a, I believe, turns out to be a writer like Dickens. Uh, and Demon is more of an artist, a cartoonist. He almost has a, a book deal for a graphic novel at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, of the story. And is how important is that, or is that just something that she puts in because it's David Copperfield? I don't know. I struggle with that. Um, I think it's important because it become he becomes a way for her narrative to further itself. Right? She's got a great many critiques of the ways in which rural people are sidelined oh, yeah. by city narratives, and he pushes back against that. Uh, but he's another in a long line of artists who, through their art, create other artists. Uh, it's unsurprising to see a novelist create a graphic novelist. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, yeah. it's not hokey because it starts from the very beginning. Uh, but... No, by hokey, you mean it's not like magically he discovers, oh, I can draw, you know, yeah. this is my salvation. No, no, he's always drawing. He yeah. is always drawn, but it is, he is exceptional. His, his teacher, Miss Armstrong, his art teacher, says that she loves teaching because she loves seeing the light in kids' eyes and loves watching them in that moment of creation. And she always wants to provide that. But also secretly, I always waited for that one special child. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, it's him. Yeah. Of course, it's him. Yeah. Uh, the, the art, a lot of the art, and you mentioned this, is about and you, the, the theme that you already mentioned, his making, what did you say, making people human. And in this case, the people that... He makes, he, he through his art and she through the novel make human are the people of Appalachia. And this is a real, a, a really pervasive theme, you know. Uh, uh, this is him talking about, this is uh, Demon talking to his friend Tommy about this image. We're the, uh, we're the dog of America. Every make of person now has their proper nouns, except for some reason us. Hicks, rednecks, not capitalized. I couldn't believe this was news to Tommy. But I, I guess I'd seen the world somewhat with our uh, division games where they called us trailer trash and threw garbage at us. And this is at the football games. And TV, obviously. The month I moved out of coaches, Chiller TV was running this entire hillbilly hater marathon. Hunter's blood, lunch meat, redneck zombies. And the comedy shows, even worse with these guys acting like we're all on the same side, but just wait. I dated a Kentucky girl once, but she was always lying through her tooth. Ha ha ha. Uh, <laughs> turns out, you know. Uh, so, uh, and, and his, he and his friend Tommy both feel this acutely, you know, and he manages to. Uh, do you think that's still the case, that, that Appalachians are uh, a stereotype minority? Um. I, I, I feel certain that it is. I'm not close enough to 
actual Appalachian specific narratives to to speak with authority about it. But yeah, I mean the the ways in which city people look down on country people are still deeply embedded. Whether we're talking about the coastal elites who talk about Middle America as flyover land, or mm-hmm. we're talking about um, you know our the the way one speaks about the people of Mississippi or Florida in a national mm-hmm. discourse, yeah. uh, you don't have to think of them as people. You just get to think about them as Florida man or right. some variant thereof. Right. But if you're if you're re- reading King Solver, you are, as you point out, forced to talk about them as people. Mm-hmm. She he draws he draws uh, um, he draws a cartoon and he draws redneck. My guy spots an old lady crying in her little home up in the woods because she can't pay her bill and the electric's gone off. Dark, stormy night. (laughs) Second panel. The hero grabs a lightning bolt out of the sky and shoves it into the wires. You see it running all the way into her trailer home, lights and stove all coming back on. In the last panel, I made music notes coming out of her radio and lights shining out the windows into the night. The lady and her little old man are dancing outside on their porch. I want to see that. You know. that's, that's, exactly, exactly. That's, yeah, that's one of the good. first comics that he draws is uh, his Aunt June. When he goes to visit her for the first time in Knoxville, he draws her in the Wonder Woman outfit because mm-hmm. he sees her as something like superheroic. Uh, and uh, when when he describes those panels, uh, I, want, I wonder how she would see them. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, who understands he, the way the system has shoved these people down and knows that they need heroes, yeah. uh, sees him giving them to them. Yeah, and he kind of has a crush on her, too, as oh, yeah. well. Um, the, there's also a, a rural-urban distinction, uh, and his first experience of Knoxville is when he goes with uh, to visit uh, June and with some of the, his, the, the Pegot family, and he says kind of memorably um, where wherever you you wherever you went he says there's no there was no outside anywhere <laughs> you know outside stairs a thousand other families living there every front door opening into one hallway stairs going down past other hallways outside the main front door a street full of cars and cars people and people there was no outside anywhere <laughs> Lovey mm-hmm. calls that big complex the Doom Castle. Yes. Uh, and sees cities as just a string of Doom Castles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he at one point wonders where in the world these people grow their tomatoes. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that, that divide is really nicely done. Uh, and, and that's just Knoxville. He'll, he'll mm-hmm. later get to Atlanta and be even more overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Richmond, I think he visits yeah. Richmond yep. at some point. Never gets, uh, never gets to the ocean, although he's, you know... It looks like there. maybe He's in, in the there. end he'll finally make it. <laughs> um, and and I, I ran across a critic who said that, that she makes the people of Appalachia into objects of pity, but in doing so also intimates that falling into drug abuse, rejecting education, and clinging to their ways are moral choices. I thought that was rather wrong-headed, yeah. actually. Uh, but I can see what... The, I think that critic is looking at, you know, on the one hand... Uh, Rural life is stereotyped. On the uh, on the other hand, rural life, even though it's pretty terrible these days with drug addiction and poverty and all of these things, is nevertheless in some ways superior to uh, urban life. And I, I, you know, I don't think that's. I think that's a contradiction that is is sort of there, but that she resolves by 
talking about the distinction between a land and a money economy. You know. I think she does a really nice job of drawing the distinctions, but she's so aggressively anti-hierarchical in this novel. Uh, I don't think she's trying to say ever that the land economy is better than the money economy or that rural living is better than city living or that the way country people support one another is better than the kind of isolation you find in a doom castle. I don't get the sense that King Solfer's ever trying to do that. I read that same review uh, mm -hmm. and it frankly drove me crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's not a moral choice that these people are making. That's not the argument she's trying to make. She's trying to make us see that it's an understandable choice. It's a very human choice, yeah. and it comes from the human frailties that we all share, and those aren't geographical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that review yeah. got under my skin. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, I, 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 only, I only read part of it, but... Uh, I read too much of it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, She's, and, but she actually kind of analyzes why, why the, the rural, rural life has, the, and the, the, the natural balance and equilibrium of what she's calling the land economy has been exploited and changed. You know, she has Mr. Armstrong talk about uh, mines coming in and keeping out uh, factories and other, uh, other possible economic uh, uh, sources of sources of jobs, discouraging uh, education because you don't need much education to work in a mine, and so mm -hmm. on, and, and and so on. So, um, uh, he says, I said, and he tells Mr. Peggett that we were messed up nowadays due to TV and cable. Now versus the old days, I said maybe the difference was we could see now what all we were missing. With everybody else in the world being richer than us, doing all kinds of nonsense and getting away with it, it pisses you off. It makes you restless. Yeah. As a kid who grows up without a whole lot of television, when he gets to Knoxville for the first time, he is just fairly flabbergasted by all the things that can be. Yeah. Uh, and not knowing about that might have been a might have been a way to want to want less. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Uh, any, anything else about, uh, I'm about to give us a break, but anything else about the, the whole sort of redneck, rural, urban kind of themes that she's got in here? I think, I think there is something deeply political about the work that she's trying to do here. I think that she sees exactly how divided we are as this so-called red and blue nation. Uh, and she's trying to make some of those choices understandable. When she mm -hmm. talks about the Whiskey Rebellion, when she talks about how you could possibly find a way to tax moonshine and you and what army, mm -hmm. uh, I think she's trying to say uh, there is a, a deep history in the rural parts of the mostly American South uh, that clings to those things. Uh, she, um, I'm not going to find the quote immediately. Maybe I'll have it after the break. Mm -hmm. um, but she leads us up to that idea of the deplorables. And oh, it's yeah. that particular word, I think, that draws us back into this conversation. Uh, and she's trying to say um, there is systemic history that explains why people in rural areas don't trust government and don't want to pay taxes and want to hold on to their guns because they fear somebody's going to come try to take something from yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And she does that. That's, that's right. She, she brings in that, that word, and I, I think I had it in it as well. We will, we will take a break, and we will, we will look for it, and then we'll talk about some other stuff. KZSM.org would like to thank the following businesses, organizations, and individuals for underwriting and supporting our 24-7 live streaming programming. Blue Sky Mortgage, Sid and Ellen Braverman, Down to Earth Barbecue Sauce, 
Fast Signs, Ghost Note Brewing, The Hill Country Free Thinkers, The San Marcos Art League, Tejas Hemp, and the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. If you, your business, or your organization would like to promote and maintain true community radio in San Marcos and around the world, find the donate button on our webpage, kzsm.org, or email us at kzsmsanmarcus at gmail.com to underwrite our program. Bookmarked is brought to you in part by the Whitliff Collections. Now on exhibition, I Pray You Survive, Riding on the Edge. The Whitliff explores how our best writers have personally confronted life or death situations, from war to pandemics, race riots, and murder to create their groundbreaking work. On display now at the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. For more information, please contact us at all right, welcome back to Bookmarked on, on KZSM 104.1 and KZSM.org, your true community radio station, where we are talking about Barbara Kingsolver's wonderful big fat novel, <laughs> Demon Copperfield, with Chris Gardner. And if you don't find that, we can talk about something else. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I may yeah. not. I may oh, not find okay. this quote I was looking for immediately. But mm -hmm. I just wanted to say, um, in the interest of clarity, uh, that I don't. I think again, King Solver is as she always does, taking the side of people. Uh, she's not picking a political fight one way or another when she tries to clarify why someone might feel a certain way. She mm -hmm. just sees us all as people. Uh, wrapped up in systems that shape us and prey upon our very human wants and needs. Yeah. And the people that she uh, creates for us here are all people. Yeah, they are. But they are based on and uh, on Dickens' characters, some of them, not all of them, but most of them. And Dickens' characters, and you may have recognized this, you know, I don't know if you, you said you're not much into Dickens, but... Uh, Certain, often they tend to be exaggerated and a bit caricatured. Uh, and so she kind of, and actually one reviewer even complained that her characters weren't funny, uh, <laughs> which I thought was ridiculous. Well, I mean, there, uh, in David Copperfield, there are at least a couple of sort of iconic characters who kind of, have come into the culture as exemplifying certain kinds of behavior. There's Mr. Micawber, who always thinks that something will turn up, and he keeps, his family is chronically broke. He's based, sadly enough, on Dickens' father, uh, but he, they're chronically broke because he's always in some scheme or other, but the schemes never work, you know, and, but he's funny, he's more benign than his counterpart in King Kingsolver, Mr. Micawber. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Macabre is just a father trying to do the very best he can for his family, uh, yeah. and it's all coming up twos. <laughs> so, there are yeah. no face cards in the uh, in, in the deck of luck <laughs> for him. He's just no. pulling that two of clubs over and over and over. Uh, yeah, he, so le less of a comic trope and more of a, a trap. Yeah, more certain, certainly a trap. And also, I think, I can't remember... They don't seem to have, the macabres have much compassion for Demon. Mm -mm. They want him to work. And in one of the most harrowing things, when he's like, I think 11 or 12, he's, he, goes to, he goes to work uh, separating recycles from trash. Draining 
car batteries to get the acid out. And yeah, which is just <laughs> looking you know, over his shoulder at the meth lab hiding behind the the quickie mart. Yeah, uh, and that's just kind of <laughs> it's miserable. Kind of, Kind of, yeah, miserable. Yeah, it's difficult. To, it's difficult to laugh at or sympathize with the macabres, yeah. uh, and I wonder if that's not the the only characters for whom I don't have much in the way of sympathy are the macabres uh, and U-Haul, who is the Uriah Heap figure. Yeah, and he feels comparatively flat. He's just a creepy, skeevy. Slimy well, bad guy. He's another he's another iconic character. Mm-hmm. He is uh so I think because of that he has become, you know, kind of the the symbol of the creepy, obsequious, um but treacherous employee or mm-hmm. in 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 David Copperfield he's constantly rubbing his hands together and talking about how humble he is. So and I think she's done really a brilliant job of t- turning Uriah Heep into U-Haul, who also has all kinds of twitchy mannerisms mm-hmm. and is creepy and, and so on. But the, my, my, I don't think the plot needs him very much. I think he's there because he's there in David Copperfield. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. I think that he's a, a, a good recreation. But it, yeah, like you, I don't mm. think he's adding much for us here. Uh, he's a mechanic, I suppose, to knock the coach off of his pedestal so that he too can go to a 12-step program and come to understand Demon better by novel's end. But that that's a function that could have been, been achieved a lot of different ways. Yeah. I don't know that we needed you all. Another sort of memorable character, though I don't know if I'd, I'd call him iconic or not, but he's he's the character that I remembered. As I say, I'm not... I read David Copperfield... Oh, well many, many, before you were born, probably. Uh, and I don't remember much about it, but the, the character one remembers is Steerforth, um, who has become, she has turned into fast forward. <laughs> and he is this incredibly chari- uh, charismatic, but cruel, mm. uh, well, he's a star quarterback, and then he winds up being a drug dealer, and so on. Uh, and uh, Demon meets him in, his first uh, uh, foster placement, which is with a farmer, there's uh, that's a creaky creaky farm he calls it. I can't remember Crickson. The man, mm-hmm. the, the farmer's real mm-hmm. name is Crickson, uh, and they have to do all kinds of awful things, including work work with tobacco, which makes them ill. Um, but this is, you know, we were our own messed up little tribe, a squadron. We looked forward to inspections. Uh, filling up our hungers on fast-forward attention. Uh, and fast-forward takes their, takes their belongings away, but then gives them back in different ways. Uh, if he played favorites with me, which he did, that was the bread and butter in my otherwise butterless day-to-day. He found out I had read every superhero that ever existed on tap in my brain and would get me to reel off their full-life histories. He looked at my drawings like they were true comic books, studying them over, asking why they put in this or that. Uh, and he says, uh, and he says, he looks at uh, Demon's drawings and says, he finally said, I had a gift. You all see this here? He says, flipping the page with the back of his hand, this cannot be taught. This is a talent, which made my entire life up to that point worth living. After that, I just went to town and he begins of course, to draw cartoons 
with fast forward as the hero. As the hero. Um, and becomes totally caught up. Uh, fast forward does those terrible things, the, the episode where he uh, corrupts a, a young woman uh, and actually gets her addicted to drugs. But in, in, in David Copperfield, it's merely a seduction, which is, was bad enough in mm. those days. Yeah, um, fast forward here is uh, very much more of a villain, but a, a deeply char- charismatic one, and yeah. I think a pretty hard-to-forget character. Uh, yeah. From the beginning, he calls him awesome and terrifying and says you wanted to be his foot soldier. Uh, and that passage you just read, I think he's prefiguring the kind of praise that Demon soaks up from Coach as well. Yeah. Uh, fast forward, nicknames him Diamond, uh, mm-hmm. sees him yeah. as a diamond and rough, something that he can shape. Yeah. Uh, and that he, he's so desperate for that praise, back to that, that wanting, wanting, wanting that's so strong in him. Uh, but fast forward has always been cruel. Mm-hmm. As a nine-year-old, he was tempting his adopted brother to put a noose around his neck and jump off the table yeah. to swing because he thought it would be funny. Yeah. Uh, as Rose, his adopted sister, who he hit in the face with the claw of a flying hammer, yeah. uh, as she says, uh, he does not take care of his toys. Uh, <laughs> and that includes Demon, that includes Rose, that includes Emmy. Uh, Amy Peggett, who is the uh, the girl that he corrupts and drags into his web. Yeah, well, we get. Uh, I think we won't we won't indicate what happens to fast forward in Let's, the novel, yeah. but uh, we'll save something. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I guess if you I guess if you read David Copperfield, you 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 sort of know what to expect with this. And I wonder. Uh, I suspect you 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 said before we went on the air that you thought that not knowing David Copperfield was no barrier to appreciating this novel. Uh, I, I love this book, and I suppose it could be better if I had a deep and rich understanding of Copperfield, but I also wonder if I wouldn't have been distracted by going, oh, that's just like, oh, that's just like, yeah. uh, and playing connection games when without a lot of that foreknowledge, I was able to just get wrapped up in character, mm-hmm. uh, and she writes a great many really memorable characters here. Yeah. Uh, any characters that were especially memorable to you besides the ones we've mentioned? Uh, the Peggett cousins all get me. Uh, Maggot, I think, is a fascinating character. Uh, he is Demon's cousin, he calls him, and best friend. And the, among the best moments of his early life are running around in the creeks with Maggot behind their houses, swinging sticks at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maggot grows up an outsider in a great many ways, struggles with his sexuality, doesn't know quite how to present himself, winds up sliding into now what we can think of as fairly goth tropes, lots of dark eye makeup and heavy Mm -hmm. lip rings and uh, wanders into his own world of drug abuse and serves in some ways as as a foil. He doesn't find escape the way that um, the demon ultimately does. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, but then also Emmy, who is his first love interest, uh, again, mm-hmm. for a, a kid mm-hmm. desperate, desperate for love. When he is like seven and she is nine, she says, okay, so we love each other and we'll get married later. Yeah. Uh, and he is uh, enraptured. Uh, and June will say later, you never were one to fall halfway down the well. Uh, and he said, no, I fell all the way in on her, but I did get over it. Yeah. Uh, and... And I think, I think those are both really powerful, really memorable characters. And watching Emmy come back to Lee County, because mm-hmm. she was off in Knoxville, and watching her come back to Lee County and fall into all the same traps 
that a demon and everyone else he knows falls into. At some point, Aunt June says, uh, do you know other kids who are taking pills? And he says, I don't know anyone my age who isn't taking pills. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that, was, that was one of those really sort of chilling moments yeah. in, in there. I mean, this is, I found, I found it, it, you know, it, it, it ends in a positive way because David Copperfield ends in a positive way, but I found it kind of harrowing and depressing at, at, in places For sure. reading it. Yeah, yeah um, there are a great many harrowing moments. The moments at the, in the parking lot of the pill mill uh, are just terrifying yeah. as they go to, to sell drugs, to score drugs, to show up on disability check day and sweep through this, the tides of misery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that is the stuff of horror novels. Yeah, you talk about humanizing people. I mean, one of the things he, he does that humanizes people is uh, the, just the experience of, and when he's in, he doesn't, he and Dora don't get married, or do they? I don't think they did. Effectively, they, no. But yeah, they, yeah. But they're, but they, and he talks about their life together and how so much of it is taken up just by getting more drugs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and by selling drugs and trying to get more drugs. And yeah. she was a, she's an interesting character, or, or did you just get exasperated with her? No, I, I, I thought she was fascinating uh, mm-hmm. and mirrors him in so many important ways. Uh, he grew up with just a mother. She grew up with just a father. They both fought desperately to keep their parents alive. And mm-hmm. that fight, that struggle to keep someone else alive ate them both up a little bit inside. Yeah. And she fills that emptiness with her father's opioids and yeah. teaches herself early how to convert all of his medications into something that she can suck into a syringe and stab between her toes. Uh, I had had a great deal of sympathy for her, even when she became a kind of luggage, just baggage for him to carry around, uh, when she becomes the thing that obsesses him and the roles reverse. And now Mm. after her taking all that care of her father, now he is taking care of her. uh, I still found her sympathetic. Yeah. I I wish I had the, the passage on the comic strip that he draws based on them called the Incapables, in which there are these two <laughs> drug, drug-addled teenagers who can't do anything. They can't cook. They can't take care yeah. of themselves, you know, which is a theme in there uh, early on. And he, he talks to his mother is sort of, of course, in, in taking up with Dora, he kind of takes up with his mother as well, too, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, his mother was the one who's, and he says, can we, can't we, can't we have the bed, the bed covered up the bed's covered up the way they are on TV, and she thinks that's hilariously funny. You know, I, I, I do, too. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, admit yeah. it. Um, I have just lost the thought I had there. Oh, that's okay. We were talking about Dora, but other, other we were, we've had very little time left, so other characters or other things about this that were particularly memorable or that we'd like our listeners to, to think about. We certainly highly, highly recommend this all 500 pages of it. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, for, a, for a novel this large, it reads quickly as most King Solver does. Uh, mm-hmm. There is always a point around the 300 page mark where I'm like, okay, I just need to clear the schedule and make sure that I don't have to life in any other way because <laughs> I'm going to have to tuck into the rest of this book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found, I found so many characters to, to care about here. I'm sorry that we didn't have more time to talk about Tommy Waddles, who I think is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk a whole lot about Rose, about Fast Forward's adopted uh, sister. She is oh, she's, terrifying she's, and yeah, fascinating. Yeah, she is terrifying because she's kind of internalized, mm-hmm. internalized his, 
his cruelty, and she, and yet she follows him around. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's it's just proof of how how charismatic fast forward is, mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of Pied Pipers everybody else into the uh, into yeah. the abyss. Or Something I liked. Cave, I mean, we we were talking about kind of like even in the case of drugs, how she does not doesn't limit things to a single cause or a single perspective, even in talking about football. I mean, she certainly reveals the destructive aspects of football. People, uh, that's partly how Demon gets addicted because he's badly hurt and wants to continue to play. And uh, uh, the, the, the team doctor who, you know, the coach trusts uh, doesn't, doesn't want him treated. Uh, and, and you get that, but you also get Demon when he's finally, uh, his joy, of course, he wants to be part of something, mm-hmm. you know. Learning the plays by heart and then making them on the field, there are no words to describe. It's an act of magic to take an idea and turn it into bodies on bodies, a full participation thing for all to see. Like what's said about the Bible, the word made flesh. Learning to read the quarterback's mind, knowing what he'll do almost before he does. The generals were always a running team, but now the demon was changing their game. Passes fired and completed. You'd hear the stands go dead for one heartbeat before they roared. Excuse me for saying, but it's like an orgasm to blow up a crowd by doing what nobody expected. <laughs> I don't think I will ever again uh, think about a, a high school playbook in the same way. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. the offensive playbook as the word made flesh. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and she, she leaves room for that. Uh, yeah. Which is why the 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 human the human part is is always more more salient and more engaging than the fact that yes she is she is telling you something she is po- talking about problems she is pointing them out uh, but the the how shall I put it the flesh dominates the word or the the word is definitely made flesh and never just a never just a word I think that she never uh, turns her targets against people uh, she turns them against our baser impulses uh, yeah. we've talked several times now about all of demons wanting and wanting uh, it's yeah. it's that more havingness and exploitation by the drug companies that serves as the only true villain here Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's exploitation that she yeah. deplores, and all of the other people whom other people might call deplorables, she sees as people and brings to really full life here. Yeah. Uh, any any one last thing? I mean, there's a lot we of course there's a lot we couldn't cover. Uh, uh, you should read it if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, you should read it if you have it. I think it I think it'll come out in paperback in a few months. Yeah, right. having won the Pulitzer, it may stay in hardback a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then you can always, or always Kindle, but I wanted it. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted the hardback. Yeah, so, no, this is uh, one I wanted to hold in my hands for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, uh, thank you, Chris Gardner, very much for thank coming so and much. talking to me. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>